FDBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Construction cranes poke through the skyline across metro Atlanta, a testament to growth and efforts to draw new companies and residents to call the region home. Not so visible are the millions of Americans being thrown out of their homes, and it is a problem throughout the country. The eviction lab at Princeton University found that more than 2 million evictions were filed in the U.S. in 2016. NPR's On the Media partnered with the eviction lab for a four-part series called The Scarlet E, Unmasking America's Eviction Crisis. Tonight, 100 million renting Americans will come home and lock their front doors against the vapors and the dark. Doors might even keep those out for a while. The real challenge is ensuring the most vulnerable among us even have doors. Hello, Sheriff's Department eviction, come to the door. We have an eviction crisis. On the media host, Brooke Gladstone there. She reported from Atlanta and other cities for the series and joins me now from WNYC. Brooke, so great to talk with you. Great to talk with you too, Virginia. This series follows one that you did previously called Busted, America's Mm -hmm. Poverty Myths. What are are some of the myths about eviction or the Scarlet E, as you call it? Well, we call it the Scarlet E because one thing we found over and over again is that if you have an eviction on your record for whatever reason, the possibility of finding another landlord grows vanishingly small. And there have been people who have gone to 80, 90, until the point where they are so worn down with rejections, they'll take whatever they get. In terms of the myths, uh, I was stunned by so much being one of the uh, multitude of journalists clustered on the coasts and in hot markets, I thought gentrification was a huge problem. I thought uh, lack of housing stock was a huge problem. Those aren't the real problems, not for most of America, certainly not for most of Georgia, which has an eviction rate and an eviction filing rate high above that of the national average. And if you go to Tulsa and Albuquerque or... uh, You know, Richmond, Virginia, these are not places that are super sky high. What you've got is uh, a situation where the map of eviction, the really the highest evictions in the country, follow the path of the Great Migration. That is is such a revelation in your reporting that you can almost superimpose the map of the Great Migration on top of the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. Not not things that you would think of as particularly hot housing markets. So who talks about Tulsa? Right. So what's at play here? Uh, What's at play here, you know, is sheer racism, the habit of racism. The fact is that Atlanta has the highest rate of income inequality of any city in the United States. Right. And uh, and then on top of that, what you've got is a pattern. And, and it's not limited to Georgia. It's not limited to, south, to the South. It follows the path of the ma- Great Migration. People who tr- fleeing Jim Crow were unable to make any investment in what has always been the American dream, 
unable to buy, simply denied the kinds of loans that were offered to white people, no matter how much they made. The interest rates were so high. And then later, when FDR passed the New Deal, it was explicitly designed to exclude black people in order to hold on to Southern Democrats in that coalition. And so again and again and again, if they were going to buy, it was going to be in circumscribed neighborhoods where they were allowed to buy because uh, certainly segregation was legal until 1968. And then the interest rates or even the natures of these so-called mortgages weren't mortgages at all. They were basically layaway plans designed to fail. Only you were paying the state taxes on the supposed uh, property that you owned through the mortgage. It's just a series of ripoffs that continues. I'm not talking about just poverty itself. And of course, that's a problem because uh, there were only two professions that were excluded from the New Deal prizes of Social Security or of uh, unemployment insurance or of the minimum wage, which then guaranteed you the ability to at least live with all the basics. They were excluded to agricultural workers and domestic workers. Mm -hmm. In other words, a lot of black men and a lot of black women. And you did your reporting on the ground in Richmond, Virginia, Camden, New Jersey, Indianapolis, Chicago, and Atlanta. But mm -hmm. this is not a problem that affects only people of color. Is that correct? It's just predominantly? Well, of course not. In fact, 60% of the nation's homeless are white. Uh, that means... 40% of the homeless are not white, and 13% of the country is African American. Right, so compared to you the can population. do the math there. Right. Yeah, and uh, it certainly isn't. And of course, the kinds of inequalities that we are experiencing now are not solely the remnants of racism. They're uh, the rise of corporations, the replacement of mom and pop owners with. Uh, remote, huge, faceless LLCs that basically file eviction by algorithm without any knowledge of the circumstances of the person they're renting to. That isn't to say that mom and pops uh, are always great. In fact, there are some really horrendous mom and pop landlords, plenty of them. But the fact is, is that ultimately, at least they know their tenant. And these people don't. They're just uh, numbers on a on a, you know, on ledger. A spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, the data on evictions is not gathered in any kind of organized fashion by the federal authorities. How did you find out about these? And and also, are these you said these are big corporations. Are they filing in court? Is this happening in any kind of formalized way? Right now, I to be clear, the most of the renting business is still owned by mom and pops, but it used to be, those used to be the vast majority of owners, and that dominance has chipped away. So now it's just a couple of percentage points more mom and pops than these big corporations. In terms of the gathering of the data, the eviction lab had to fight long and hard to get it. They went and gathered it from state to state to state, and as uh, uh, Matt Desmond, who wrote Evicted and who started the eviction lab at Princeton, will say there are some 
California-sized holes in that data. Uh, he finally has gotten some data from New York, but hasn't been able to, uh, in, you know, put it into, plug it in and see what it says. It was very hard work. I mean, some of these records were found in trailers in West Texas and that kind of thing. And then, of course, he needed some expert data crunchers to get some meaning out of them. But I think it's important to note that the rate of eviction filings and the rate of actual evictions is widely different, both across the country and in Georgia. And uh, and also the rate of informal evictions, which appears to be rising very high, and so never that leaves means a paper that trail at all. You're not filing something in court. Someone, you know, you might get a note on your door saying you're out in. I remember this from your busted series. Actually, wasn't there a woman she worked at Domino's and she got a note and she had to oh, be out yeah. in three yeah. days or something? Like now that. that was a, an actual filing in that case. Uh-huh. But in a lot of places, they'll come up and say. Uh, you know, they'll say, you've got to go. And, oh, I'm still on my lease. Well, and then they take their door off, mm-hmm. you know. Oh. Or they say, you know, you're not going to make the rent, so why don't I give you some moving expenses if you promise to be out of here by next Tuesday and the place is clean? That has no paper trail. That's what you call a cash-and-key eviction. And then there's a whole bunch of evictions, and, and this would be in a hot market, say. You were in Seattle, and someone says, uh, okay, your lease is up or let's say it's in Oregon and uh, it's going, your rent is going up by 40%. You have to go. That is, you know, basically an eviction. You lived in a place, now you can't live in it anymore. Can I mention one other myth that really gobsmacked me, which is that in most of the country, not in the super hot markets, but in most of the country, there is very little difference in the cost of a cheap apartment in a cheap neighborhood and a good apartment in a good one. Wait a I mean, minute. this amazed me. Living in New York, if you live in Milwaukee, say, the difference between a good apartment, a B-plus apartment, and a B-plus neighborhood, well, that's going to cost you six eighty. And if you live in a C-minus apartment in a C-minus neighborhood, that's going to cost you six twenty. Well, so you're going to ask why? Why, well, why don't all, they want to know why? Right? Why don't they move to and another why neighborhood? Is the price like that? Because they're not allowed. Because they won't be rented to. No one can force you to rent to someone. And let's say you had a bad situation. Your hours were cut. You got pneumonia. Your kid was you know, had a broken leg and you spent all day in the emergency room and you are spending 60% of your income on rent, you get an eviction notice. That's what we call the scarlet E. That's -hmm. what makes it so hard. But also, then you get the whole great migration thing of, I don't need to rent to you. I can rent to this person. In fact, you're going to bring just your very presence will bring down the, the marginal value of this place. And I'll let you live in this neighborhood, but it's going to be priced way above uh, the market value because there's more risk in these neighborhoods. There's more crime and maybe there's people running out on their rents, but they have found there are studies that have used national tenant data kept by the census to show that the amount of profit that is derived from these places these typical places, not the hot market places, 
is twice as much. The bad apartment in the bad neighborhood versus the good apartment in the good, twice as much profit from the bad place because you compensate for the risk way more than the risk actually occurs. Well, we get a better picture of it there. Speaking with On the Media co-host Brooke Gladstone, she is working on a series or has completed a series. The first episode is up now. It's called The Scarlet E. Uh, On the Media is on right here on GPB on Sundays at noon, but Brooke is talking about this series. Throughout the series, we do follow families, and the first episode is in Richmond, Virginia, Jeffrey and Mm -hmm. Kelly in Richmond, and Mm -hmm. here they are, a a clip talking to their son, Jalen. Mm-hmm. How do you feel when you see mom and dad stressing about trying to pay for the hotel room? How does it affect you? I feel sad every time they say try to kick us out. I say why. One of the points you make in the, in the your reporting, Brooke, is like how many children are affected by this? What do we know they, about those numbers? They are uh, overwhelmingly affected. In fact, they are the highest population of those evicted. And in fact, the presence of children in a household increases the possibility of eviction. So, you know, you're fostering a generation built on instability. Uh, every, there are endless numbers of studies to show that transience in school and transience of a school population, because the schools associated with these neighborhoods of transient populations do terribly. And if you stabilize those populations, they will do ever so much better. I know one landlord in Atlanta who actually, uh, her name is Margie Stegmeyer, who, you know, was and has made a lot of money from real estate, but figured out that if you stabilize a community, you don't upcharge, you might even provide things like childcare so that people don't have to leave their work. You'll have a more stable community. Ultimately, you'll make more money, and the schools will go from literally the bottom of the Georgia system to the top, or very close to the top. I'm trying to conceive of what it would be like to, you know, live in a place and the door is taken off the front of it. This whole idea of your home, you know, being turfed out of your home, what does this do to, you you mentioned the stats for schools, but what does it do to dignity and, and, and the mental health of somebody to live in that kind of insecurity? Well, there are some psychologists psychologists that think that place identity is uh, very closely related to self-identity. And if you find yourself identifying with a pile of junk that costs more than you can afford, I don't know what that does to your self-wealth as a self-view as, a, as an adult or as a parent or as a child. Um, In Georgia, I believe that Georgia may be the only state that does not require a warrant of habitability or a warranty of habitability. Uh, Meaning? Meaning that you need to uh, have a document that certifies your place is habitable. I see. And uh, you, and up until very recently, I mean up until May, you, uh, retaliatory uh, eviction was legal. If somebody complained to you, you could evict you, evict them. 
Uh, moreover, people didn't know their rights. There is a new bill that passed. I think it's called House Bill 346. It was signed by Brian Kemp last month. It was a huge, huge fight because it actually added something to the state law. It was written very carefully to protect good landlords. Now, obviously, tenants, it's so new, tenants don't even know that they have these rights anymore. But the fact is, it's much easier for slumlords to evict than to fix. Mm. Well, Brooke, we have half a minute left, and uh, I want to let listeners know that they can go and see where their city ranks on the database. Just go to mm-hmm. evictionlab.org. Really looking forward to the rest of this series. When does the Atlanta episode come up? The Atlanta episode is in the last because I am using it as a case study in public housing. It is the it is where one of the first great public housing projects FDR was there went up and it has none now. On the media I mean, host yeah. Br- Brooke Gladstone, thank you for that. We look forward to it and you can listen again to the program right here on GPB on Sundays at noon. The latest series, The Scarlet E, Unmasking America's Eviction Crisis. You can hear the first episode now.